Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Shalom, good morning, and welcome to this morning's Wellington Jewish Community and Jewish Culture Program, brought to you today by Desiree Gizensvi with the ongoing support of the Wellington Regional Jewish Council. In the last few weeks, we have had some fun events like observing the New Year of the Trees, to Bishvat, and following a Habonim reunion, which I hear was absolutely wonderful, a fabulous hour of one-woman stand-up comedy in the Myers Hall from Auckland-born comedian Deb Filler, with reminiscences of her youth, Yiddish songs, and hilarious encounters with Leonard Bernstein and Leonard Cohen. Coming up is the Festival of Purim on the 7th, that's next Tuesday, and a session of Le Dorvador at the Holocaust Center on the afternoon of 22nd March. At that, Wellington author Navina Clemerson talks about her experiences in Nuremberg while carrying out research for her novel, There Was a Garden in Nuremberg, her newest book. We will now uh, have a beautiful song that many of us grew up with. Um, I'm giving away my age here. And it's a Bert Bakara song. He recently passed away. And it's called Do You Know the Way to San Jose?
You probably recognize that as the classic song by Jewish composer and band leader Bert Bacharach, whose elegant melodies dominated pop radio for several decades. He has died at the age of 94, and here are some excerpts from his obituary in Rolling Stone. During his 1960s heyday, Baccarat, along with his earliest and most productive partner, lyricist Hal David, wrote songs that became hits and later timeless standards. Among their many classes, classics were They Long to Be, Close to You, I Say a Little Prayer, The Look of Love, Walk on By, Always Something There to Remind Me, and Raindrops Falling on My Head and I can hear them all in my head as I'm naming them. Raised on jazz and classical and not rock and roll, Baccarat brought a level of melodic sophistication and romanticism on conventional mel melodies and five four-time signatures into the top 40. Odd bar lines, odd time signatures, things that musicians couldn't play in the studio when we were recording, Bakura said in 1979, I was always swimming upstream, breaking rules. Born May 12, 1928, in Kansas City, Missouri, Bakura was the son of newspaper columnist Bert Bakura, an artist and songwriter, Irma Freeman. Thanks to his father's job, Bakura moved to Forest Hills, New York, later admitting to wanting to be an athlete who hated taking piano lessons, which his mother demanded. But after hearing Ravel's Daphne's and Chloe's Suite and sneaking into jazz clubs in Manhattan with fake ID to see Dizzy Gillespie and Miles David, his career choice was cemented. Hearing them, he said in 1998 of those jazz acts, it was like a window opening. Baccarat enrolled in McGill University in Canada, where he studied music and wrote his first song, The Night Plane to Heaven. He also studied at the Mann School of Music in New York. In 1950, Bakra began a two-year stint in the Army, playing piano at Army bases and serving as a band leader and accompanist. His professional career began in earnest after his military years when he landed work as an arranger and pianist for MOR pop singers like Steve Lawrence, and Vic Damone. Starting in 1958, he became band leader and conductor for the reclusive actress and singer Marlene Dietrich. Right before his Dietrich stint in 1957, Bakra met Hal David, an established lyricist seven years his senior, and the two began writing songs together. They cranked out numerous songs before finally hitting the charts with The Story of My Life for Marty Robbins, 1957, and Magic Moments for Perry Como, 1958. In 1961, Bakra scored his biggest pop hit to that time with Baby, It's You, cut by the Shirelles. Later singles like the frisky I Say a Little Prayer and the Bossa Nova-inspired Walk On By both hit the top 10. But those were only a few of the glorious pop records that included Anyone Who Had a Heart, Message to Michael, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, Promises, Promises, Alfie, I Just Don't Know What to Do with Myself, 
and I'll Never Fall in Love Again, which all hit the top 40 or top 10. That barrage of hits, each one a perfectly crafted, sublime pop single, would have cemented Baccarat's legacy alone. But during that same era, he and Hal David also found themselves on the charts by way of B.J. Thomas, Rainbow, Raindrops, Keep Falling on My Head, Herb Albert, This Guy's in Love with You, The Carpenters, They Long to Be Close to You, Dusty Springfield, The, Book of, the Look of Love, <laughs> Jackie the Shannon, What the World Needs Now is Love, and The Fifth Dimension, One Less Bell to Answer. Baccarat's songs went against the rock and roll grain at the time, but he didn't seem to care. He and Hal David wrote hits for Dionne Warwick, a gospel and pop singer and one of the biggest-selling female vocalists in the 1960s, like Do You Know the Way to San Jose? And That's What Friends Are For, whose sales benefited AIDS research. By the mid-70s, Baccarat's streak ended. The rise of disco and punk made Baccarat's elegant soft craft feel like a relic from another time. But gradually... Baccarat came back with the help of new collaborators. In 2012, he was awarded the Library of Congress Gershwin Prize by then-President Barack Obama. And we will conclude this obituary and tribute to Baccarat with his song, That's What Friends Are For. Sure. 
And that was Baccarat's song, That's What Friends Are For. And you are listening to the Wellington Jewish Community and Jewish Culture Program here on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, the Wellington Regional Community Access Radio Station serving Wellington City, Lower Hutt and Upper Hutt Cities and Porirua City, the station that was New Zealand's first one bringing the voices and music of minority ethnic religious, and special interest communities to themselves and the public since 1981. We have an article and a few notes that we would like to start um, going over the few next programs about Ukrainian Jews who have contributed to the world. Ukraine has had a significant and vibrant Jewish community going all the way back to the Middle Ages. But the history of Ukrainian Jewry has been difficult and often marked by periods of intense anti-Semitism. In addition, it was not always easy to live in a region that was frequently unstable. Borders shifted following the collapse of the Russian Empire and later the Soviet Union, and near-constant persecution and surveillance led many Jews to emigrate elsewhere. But an astonishing number of Ukrainian Jews whether they spent their entire lives in the country or traveled elsewhere, have made remarkable contributions to the world in art, culture, science, politics, sports, and more. Over each of the next few programs, we'll highlight one of these outstanding Ukrainian Jews. Selman Waxman was born in 1888 in a small village outside of Vinitsia, Ukraine. As a researcher at Rutgers University in New Jersey, Waxman discovered a number of antibiotics which led to the first successful treatment of tuberculosis. 
Waxman was awarded the 1952 Nobel Prize in Medicine for his contributions to microbiology. Many other Ukrainian Jewish scientists have made sterling contributions, including Waldemar Hafkin, the microbiologist credited with developing the first vaccines for cholera and bubonic plague, who was born in Odessa in 1860. And I'll now share an article that comes from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency by Jackie Hagenberg. And it's about the oldest copy of the Hebrew Bible, which is headed to auction. The oldest complete copy of the Hebrew Bible, as we know it today, will go on sale in May. Written by a single Jewish scribe on 400 pages of parchment about 1,100 years ago, the Codex Sassoon is estimated to fetch $30 to $50 million dollars when it is sold by Sotheby's auction house. Before then, the book is embarking on a worldwide tour that will include stops in London, Tel Aviv, and more. Those who view it will lay eyes on one of the only two known ancient manuscripts comprising almost the entire Hebrew Bible, along with the Aleppo Codex, which is incomplete after hundreds of pages went missing in the 20th century. Now that the Codex Sassoon has been definitely dated as the earliest, most complete text of its kind, it stands as a critical link from the ancient Hebrew oral tradition to the modern accepted form of the Hebrew Bible that remains the standardized version used today, said Richard Austin, Sotheby's global head of books and manuscripts. The Codex Sassoon is named after the book collector David Solomon Sassoon, who acquired it in 1929 when it resurfaced after 600 years. Sassoon added his book plate to the inside cover of the binding, extending a centuries-long string of inscriptions detailing the book's Jewish ownership, much of it through what is present-day Syria. The record does not show what happened between when the synagogue where it had been housed was destroyed and Sassoon's acquisition. But for the last century, it has been in private collections in contrast to the other books near its caliber, which are owned by major museums and are on display. What remains of the Aleppo Codex can be viewed in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, while a later but more complete copy is on display in Russia. Codex Sassoon marks a critical turning point in how we perceive the history of the divine word across thousands of years, said Sharon Mintz, Sotheby's senior Judaica specialist for books and manuscripts. And it's a transformative witness to how the Hebrew Bible has influenced the pillars of civilization, art, culture, law, and politics for centuries. And we're back to some information about the Jews in Ukraine. And what's it like for Jews still living in that war-torn country? The following account is about Ukrainian Jews being held by IFCJ, the International Federation of Christians and Jews. Their mandate includes the Jews who stayed behind. Since Russian tanks first rumbled across the border a year ago, the group has raised more than $30 million, primarily from evangelical Christians from North America and Korea, for the main Jewish organizations in Ukraine, including the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, or JDC, the Joint, and Chabad. Both groups do extensive fundraising of their own. 
This week, the anniversary of Russia's invasion, it announced another $4 million in planned spending. In Odessa, more than 7,000 people currently receive aid from IFJC via local Jewish groups. The Jewish community, once 50,000 strong, now stands at 20,000, according to the city's chief rabbi, Avram Wolf. 7,000 food packages are distributed every month in Chabad centers. Many of the beneficiaries are older, among them some 187 Holocaust survivors, but not all. Several hundred are people who were displaced from surrounding cities, such as Mykolaiv, which was hit much harder by Russian shells, and some are the so-called new poor, those for whom the war has plunged into poverty from loss of income and rising inflation. Ala Yaakov Livne, an 86-year-old widow, is one of many who lined up recently to receive a box with oil, flour, and other basic necessities. For Livne, the part that stings most about the last year is the sense of betrayal. The Russians were our neighbors. Many of them were our friends, she said. Times have changed, but some things never change, Livne went on. Back then, we were under occupation under the Nazis. Back then, they tried to kill us. And now again, we're under occupation, and they're trying to destroy us. 85-year-old Holocaust survivor Yelena Kuklova, who as a child was hidden by her non-Jewish neighbors in a suitcase in a closet, echoed the sentiment. They killed us because we were Jews. They are killing us today because we are Ukrainian, she said, a slow cascade of tears spilling over her cheekbones. We started our lives in war, and we are finishing them in war. And so it was in battle-scarred Mykolaiv, 140 kilometers northeast of Odessa. What the Germans never managed to do, the Russians did, said Eli Ben Mendel Hopstein, standing in front of his building, pockmarked from the shrap- shrapnel of a Russian missile. Inside his home, Hopstein rifled through decades-old photos of himself in the Navy. I know danger, he said, and I don't feel it now. He describes himself as a proud Jew. First, I'm a Jew, then I am Ukrainian, and I never once hid this from anyone. Mykolaiv, pro-Russia before the war, and now a vanguard of the South, has become a source of pride for its residents because of Russia's failure to occupy it. Even before the war, Mykolaiv was a desperately poor city. But now, following eight months of daily explosions, destruction is everywhere, and the city's critical infrastructure has been badly damaged. Like Odessa, the city has no electricity for up to 22 hours a day. For more than half a year, large swaths of the city had no water at all. Today, residents can turn on the tap and get a murky brown liquid known as technical water, but it is far from drinkable. For drinking and cooking, they are forced to collect safe water in plastic gallon bottles at water stations all over the city, many of which were installed by the Israeli non-profit Aid. Scenes of people placing buckets outside their houses in the hope of catching rainwater became ubiquitous in Mykolaiv. For its Jewish contingent, Chabad provides truckloads of bottled water and Hopstein credits the IFJ and Chabad for keeping him alive. If it wasn't for their help, 
I would have nothing, he said. Here's hoping that this is all over soon. It's hard to believe it's been a year. And that brings us to the end of today's Wellington Jewish Community and Jewish Culture Program, brought to you by Desiree Gesenswi. We hope that you have found it interesting and that you'll tune in again in four weeks' time, that's on Sunday, the 2nd of April, here on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM for our next program. And we will go out with one of Bert Becker's best love songs about raindrops. Haksameh for Purim and Shalom. Peace be with you. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling But there's one thing I know The blues they send to me Won't defeat me It won't be long Till happiness Steps up to greet me Raindrops keep falling on my head But that doesn't mean My eyes will soon be turning red Crying's not for me Stop the rain by complaining Because I'm free Nothing's worrying me It won't be long Till happiness steps up to soon be turning red crying's not for me cause i'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining because i'm free nothing's worrying me program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.